Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lean. And today we're reviewing The Siren of Sussex by Mimi Matthews. This was published in 2022 and is the first book in the Bells of London series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary advanced reader copy of this novel. So the jacket. Evelyn Maltravers understands exactly how little she's worth on the marriage mart. As an incurable blue stocking from a family tumbling swiftly toward ruin, she knows she'll never make a match in a ballroom. Her only hope is to distinguish herself by making the biggest splash in the one sphere she excels, on horseback. In Okator, but to truly capture London's attention, she'll need a habit maker who's not afraid to take risks with his designs. And with his heart. Half Indian tailor Ahmed Malik has always had a talent for making women beautiful, inching his way toward recognition by designing riding habits for Rotten Row's infamous pretty horse breakers. But no one compares to Evelyn. Her unbridled spirit enchants him, awakening a depth of feeling he never thought possible. But pushing boundaries comes at a cost, and not everyone is pleased to welcome Evelyn and Ahmed into fashionable society. With obstacles spanning between them, the indomitable pair must decide which hurdles they can jump and what matters most, making their mark or following their hearts. I, I mostly think the horse metaphors are cute, except for her unbridled spirit. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> it's oh, uh, fine it's a perfectly fine jacket i liked it i so. mean i think you know she's got a few more black marks against her than just how just being a blue stocking right um but other like this is a good setup yeah it's a the good jacket setup. describes it well it describes it well yeah i agree uh so as usual we generated a random number and then wrote our own summaries using that number as a word count. And this week, the number is 28. Meg? Well, thank you, Lane. Evelyn decides she's got a dress for success if she wants to have a chance at making a match. She succeeds at becoming her tailor's muse and more. Okay, so these are too similar, but we're rolling with it. <laughs> Looking good and dressing well is Evie's purpose. And an up-and-coming dressmaker identifies her as his muse. Who knew dressmaking could be so financially, emotionally, and erotically charged? <laughs> Just to remind you guys, we do not read each other's summaries as we write them. So if they're similar, it is probably because of the book that we read. Yeah, so um, things I liked about this book. All the clothes. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, not only, so Ahmed is a tailor and he makes clothes obviously, but the way she describes them, like I really felt like I could see them. Yes. I thought and she did a really I, good job. I love to, and some of this is leaning into current trends. I know, but Ahmed sort of cuts for classics. Mm -hmm. He likes luxury fabrics and elegant lines and doesn't like a ton of adornment. And so I think for all that, to my untrained mind, the descriptions of the clothing were period appropriate. It was without all the flounce and flourish that makes it seem so costumey. Right. And so it was just a really fun, evocative image in all the things she was wearing. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think one of the things Mimi Matthews does so well is uh, her historical, her gift for like historical detail. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, I mean, there are lots and lots of scenes in the tailor shop because, you know, she's getting fitted for her habits, her, her writing habits. Right. And um, something that they do, which I'm sure is, is period appropriate, but and when you think about it, it makes total sense, but I had no idea actually happened is he has a fake horse that she has to sit on side saddle so that he can drape the fabric and pin it and hem it. Right. Right. I loved it. I loved it. I, th those little moments and those attentions are, that is absolutely what made this book stand out. Absolutely. Before so, we continue, I do realize we skipped one of our special features, which is just talking about the different tropes in the book. Yes. So the biggest one here is sort of the two different worlds, class difference, race difference, professional difference. Mm -hmm. um, so th I, that is definitely the biggest one. Right. She's a romance, typical romance novel heroine big trope in that she's not just trying to marry well to secure her own future, but to secure her entire families. Right. Because she has a scandalous sister, really her, her sister eloped with someone, but they're not married yet. Uh, and you know, as uh, another thing, again, that I think Mimi Matthews does well is this didn't, this has not, already ruined their entire family's chances mm -hmm. because it wouldn't, it wouldn't have ruined the entire family's chances. Although it is definitely a black mark against them. Right. So they're also a, a family with many daughters and they're sad, tragic orphans. So mm -hmm. there isn't much money or dowry to sort of make up for the scandal. Right. So she knows, and she, she also knows she probably has one season in her. One of my favorite things about this book was the difference between her perception and reality though. Right. Like she puts a lot of pressure on herself. Like she gets this one season, she gets this one chance. If she does what her older sister does or did, or if she even just fails to make a good match, she's condemning her family to poverty that she has absolutely no way of making income on her own that, you know, the racial difference and class difference in their relationship is this insurmountable thing to her at certain points. You know, they've made this path. There's absolutely no way it's going to work out. And just, I think somebody could read this and criticize that the, those problems find solutions too easily in the end. But I actually really liked that ultimately the problems were much smaller than they seemed in her head. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. I think it's really, uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, yes. I, I'm sure we'll go into more length later, but I, I think you're so right. Um, the other thing is while in London, she meets a bunch of other wallflowers who are sort of cast off from society. And I think at this point, like a club of social outcasts being the uniting trope of a series is like so common. I don't even know if it's a trope or the standard. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's like, is it a trope or is it this is just this is how this is what happens, right? Exactly. <laughs> but 
one of the things I liked about this wallflower club is that they may be wallflowers, but they're all exceptional riders. They love to ride together. I mean, and I do think horse girl is a trope. Yes, yes. Horse Especially, girl, I mean, like, she's got this prized stallion that most men couldn't handle. Yes, yes. Um, I, yes. And she... You know, look, we've read, we've all read those historical romances where you have to go early in the morning to really be able to gallop, whatever. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's just really fun too, because she makes this, she decides before she actually goes out into society at all, that the way she's going to catch people's attention is by writing, her writing skills, her mm-hmm. equestrian skills. But she hasn't actually ridden in London. And so when she finally does go out to, like, make a splash, she's like, oh, I can't really show off how good I am at riding because there are too many people here. Yeah. I don't know. I I liked that she had this amazing plan and then there were some little little problems with it. I just genuinely liked Evie as a character. Yes. I thought she was really relatable and, like, distinct enough from other romance novel heroines. Like, she is practical, but she is making problems bigger than they actually are in her head. Where I feel like most of the time romance really leads it, leans into the idea of problems as epic and insurmountable. Yes. So, like, I, she was a little bit of a worrier, you know. She's insecure, but she knows the things she's good at. And she's being really assertive, partially out of desperation. I love that when she wanted to learn more about India, she did research and she challenged authority about it and she asked she didn't put the burden on the person experiencing persecution and discrimination to explain persecution and discrimination to her i just i thought she was a really fun character that didn't like break the mold or anything but that i will the most memorable thing about this book for me other than the clothes is going to be her worldview yeah I I really liked the this romantic pairing. Me too. You know, I mean, Evelyn, Evie, she's a great character, but so is Ahmed, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he also has decided that he's going to make his way in the world. He's going to design his own clothes, and he's going to do his best to make a splash as well. But it doesn't... I think the same thing happens. It doesn't downplay the difficulties that he experiences because of his race and his background. Yeah. But it also doesn't present them as so insurmountable or so difficult. I mean, really, let's be honest, we're probably thinking of like Lisa Kleypas's self-made well, heroes here, right? I mean, you're totally right about the reality of the problems, but I do think his worldview is more fatalistic than hers. Oh, sure. Like he does view these, like she is convinced she's like okay these are insurmountable and then she's like no they're not I'm in love with him I'm gonna figure this out he sort of never has that realization like he's the Debbie Downer insisting that this is a huge problem and she gets to see the resolution through and I think that's why for all that you're right they're both great characters she's the one that really stuck out to me as unique oh for sure for sure he's definitely the guy who's like look take some time away from me okay and if then if you still want to be with me I'll be waiting <laughs> Which, uh, I I also like those heroes. I can't help it, you know? <laughs> no, I loved him as a character. I loved them together. You know, and there were obviously unique struggles. The specifics of being a dressmaker and being 
a British Indian dressmaker. Like there was a lot unique about him, but he was a very prototypical, solid, hardworking romance hero. Mm-hmm. Who's just can't believe he's good enough for the heroine. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite prototypes. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, the, the dressmaking scenes were so good because of how authentic they felt. But yes. then let's be clear that this is an extremely chaste romance. Yeah. I was going to, that was going to be my one, one mark against it. And I feel bad yeah. saying that. Cause like, I know what I'm getting into when I pick up on Mimi Matthews. Yes. But for as charged as a lot of the scenes and the heat between them were like, like, not only is this, like, a couple of kisses and that's it. As Meg said, this isn't even closed door. There are some times where what actually happens on the page is pretty chaste, but you're, like, aware that both characters are having dirty thoughts and, like, having trouble consoling themselves. Like, there's none of that here. It is so chaste. I was, I texted Meg. I really liked this book, but it, I did get a little exhausted in the middle. There's a part where he's doing a fitting for her and they kind of turn at the wrong moment and their lips brush, but it's not even really a kiss. It's just like an accident that happened because they're unsupervised and too close. And they spend like 25 fucking percent of the book overthinking this like brush of lips without thinking any dirty thoughts. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't do, I can't, I can't do this. (laughs) I will say that when they're doing the fitting, you, no, you don't know what dirty thoughts they're having exactly, but you do know that there's like this, there is this charged sexual tension. Yeah. In my I opinion. Needed to see the match get lit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we both would have preferred it that way. For those of you out there, unlike us, who will skip the sex scenes in a book, this might be the one for you. Yeah, I, I have no complaints about what was there. But my romance brain, because what I like to read, was waiting for a, a payoff that never happened. Yeah. So there's this whole part with the, the dressmaking. And she not only does he make her riding habits, he also makes her actual dresses. Because he, she's going to be his, his mannequin. I guess, you know, she's going to go out in society and people are going to be like, what is she wearing? It's so amazing, you know? Right. Um, so he, he, they basically have a contract where he will dress her the entire season. And she's mm-hmm. like, okay. And then, of course, they get to see each other more and more because they're fitting each other. He, he's fitting her. Anyway. So there's all of that. There's also another part of the book that was really fascinating. It felt maybe slightly out of place. But I liked it so much that I didn't mind. And it's this um, spiritualism, occult part of the book. Yes. So Evie's uncle, who she's staying with, who's, you know, more rich. I think he's a baronet or something or a knight. He's he's her sponsor. He's her sponsor. To the degree a man can be. And he arranges for her woman sponsor. Yes. And for a woman sponsor, yes. And he, he's paying for everything. I mean, he's the one paying for the gowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's really into spiritualism. And in she attends these, like, spiritualist balls. I guess there's just one ball. But 
Then she also attends a seance. And these, again, I am sure that these were really meticulously researched. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. But I was like, okay, why are we at the seance right now? (laughs) I think... I agree with you. It was fun and it was her uncle's hobby, not hers. So you kind of understand why it was this thing in the background and it was pretty funny. But there's also something like, for lack of a better word, a little sexy about the occult. Yeah. In certain ways. And I think the fact that like none of that was leaned into also contributed to just how chaste this book felt. Like there was nothing eerie or spooky and no like excuses to touch each other and like you know there's some romance novels where like sitting together at a seance you have to take off your gloves and you're holding the naked hand of the guy next to you and he's running his fingers through yours and no she's like holding the hand of one of queen victoria's ladies maids and it's like a moment that even though he's not there she thinks of him and she gets to like say hand someone his business card it's not sexy in any way shape or form like it's not a sexy occult you're right. Yeah. It's not like the, they're not taking advantage of the darkened room or the. Well, and there's not even like this sense that they're doing something a little forbidden or dangerous. No, no. It's like very mainstream, which is maybe that's how it was again, but there's just, there was nothing. The, the cult is fun in books when it's a little forbidden. Yeah. And it kind of wasn't here. It was just her uncle's character trait. It wasn't forbidden at all. She was like, oh, dang, I have to do this thing because my uncle's making me. <laughs> fuck this guy thinks i have magic powers shit <laughs> it look it was really funny i enjoyed the scenes i'm just not sure they were like a hundred percent necessary yeah all right any content warnings um i, I think we say this with mimi matthews in general she's a very good writer And she doesn't sugarcoat the reality of her characters' lives. So Ahmed, as we've mentioned, is half Indian, experiences racism. He came over as a very poor Indian child with no opportunities, ended up being working as a bouncer in a brothel, you know, worked with prostitutes and other sex workers, you know, witnessed acts of violence against women. The general hard life of working women is not glossed over, even seamstresses. Um, so I think, you know, nothing that I think was done poorly. No, the realities of how shitty it would have been to live in London in this era come through. Yeah. And then uh, I think also just note that there is a reference to suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, it's none of the main characters, but it is, I mean, it's in Ahmed's past. Yeah. I think the other thing that I want to discuss more, and I don't think this is necessarily the right place for it because I don't think it was necessarily a content or a trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Um, but Evie's sister, who is ruined, right, and hence why Evie is so concerned about her and her sister's prospects, um, is an interesting character, and I kind of wish there'd been either more or less of her. Mm-hmm. But she I is an I, interesting character. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think about society's moral judgment of her. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I liked the inclu- I liked her inclusion. Mm. I thought it was for me the reason that it was there was to focus on what women's choices were. Yeah. Right? Because 
Well, and not only that, but what men's choices are as mm-hmm. well. You know, like what what does society expect of you? What's your role? And I think their inclusion was to serve as a foil for Evie and, and Ahmed. I agree with you. But I felt like there was a degree of judgment and recrimination from Mimi Matthews Mm. on the sister, especially in contrast to how chaste Ahmed and Evie were. Yeah. Like, I I didn't necessarily feel like that. I agree with you about the contrast, but I think I wanted that contrast to be accompanied by a very clear criticism of the system that limits these choices and condemns her sister for the choices she's made. And instead I felt like it was, there was a little bit of moralizing about Evie being the good one somewhere in all of that. Yeah. Interesting. I did not, I didn't read it that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but you know, if that's something that you encountered, I could see how, I mean, not you specifically, any reader encountered, I can understand how maybe reading that you'd be like, great. Thanks a lot. You know? I don't think it rises to the level of offensiveness. I think it's interesting that you didn't take that away from it at all, but I, I did want to have the discussion because that was one scene. I think that's where I think I mean more or less. Like I either wanted more justification. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to be a more sympathetic character. I wanted sure. like there to be a lens that it's unfair that this is what has to be her reality that yeah. I didn't necessarily think I felt. Yeah. I mean, I read it as, I did read that in there, but you're right. I don't know if it was necessarily written and that was just my interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that at, at this point she doesn't really have a choice. And and her partner as well. I mean, he has some choices. I felt like more there was more judgment on him than there was on her. Yeah. But. That's definitely true. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to think like they're gonna be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I hope so. I hope they are. It would be interesting to read their book, but I don't think Mimi Matthews would write it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we usually end on sexiness. We've already talked about it, but let's recap. There are a couple of kisses. He kisses her up against the wall. And I was like, this is, I'm going to be honest, guys. I was like, this is pretty sexy for Mimi Matthews. (laughs) On the Mimi Matthews scale, this is like an eight and a half, nine. (laughs) On the Lane and Meg scale, this is sub-zero. Yeah. It's freezing. Yeah. Here's the thing. The scene Meg is discussing, the only kiss that you might imagine may have had tongue involved. It's not explicit. (laughs) You might be able to infer because their mouths open. Is interrupted not by a knock on the door, not by a loud noise, not by getting caught, but by him catching sight of a letter out of the corner of his eye. Like, mm-hmm. This is the flimsiest fucking excuse to end this moment. Are you kidding me? But he's even like, oh my God, I almost didn't stop. <laughs> I felt attacked in that moment. <laughs> I felt attacked. <laughs> oh gosh. So just keep that in mind, guys. Okay. 
I actually want to mention one final thing before we end. And it's, it was something I thought was very interesting about this book. Because I have read, I like reading Mimi Matthews. Mm-hmm. For me, she's, she's really like a, you know, now and then I want to read a little bit of a chase romance. Her writing is really good. Her, her um, historical research is very good. And you can tell she just loves Victorian literature. So I like reading her. Uh, this book is the first book of hers that's published by Berkeley. All of her other books are self-published. So she's an indie author. She was an indie author. And then this book was picked up by Berkeley. What I thought was interesting is it's advertised as being the first in a series. But it is related to one of her previous series called The Parish Orphans of Devon. Okay. And they played a part in this book, you know, when he goes to see his his former employer mm-hmm. uh, who helps him do some research, right, to, to track down, really to track down Evie's sister. Yes. Right? Uh, the the lawyer thought. couple. Yes. That was clearly a, a previous series, yeah. Right. So that was in a previous series. Anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that when she got picked up by like a major publishing house, she was still like, you know what? I'm still writing this book and it's still going to be related to my previous series. Yeah. It was passingly yeah. referenced, um, but I, I was wondering if how, and I was wondering how prominent a role uh, Ahmed and his sister or his cousin had played in that book. His cousin, excuse me, not his sister. Um, it, relatively prominent, but it wasn't like a huge, huge part of the book. Okay. They were, I would say they were in the book for like, they were in the book for a lot of it. For good, like 75% of it. Okay. But they weren't like viewpoint characters or anything like that. Okay. Interesting. I, I actually liked this book enough and liked Ahmed and Mira enough that if I'm ever in the mood for a chase romance, don't hold your breath. That'll be the one I'll go back and read. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and you can check us out on the internet at Plattris. And that includes a full backlog of our episode catalog that is searchable on WordPress.